0: series on Heroes of Faith, and it's gone all through the month of June. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. And don't forget, next Sunday, as I mentioned, is I Love America Day. It's also the start of a special series we're doing in the month of July uh, called Where is the Good Way? And it's on truth. You know, uh, it is amazing how many people in our culture Even people who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ are believing in lies, right? There's a bunch of cultural lies that are being fed to us as truth, and we're going to talk about finding truth in a world filled with lies, and so that starts next Sunday on I Love America Day, and then we have the picnic and softball and all of that, Uh, and then uh, if you get a chance to take class 301 tonight, Discovering Church Ministry, it is a great class for either finding or renewing the shape God has given you and how he wants to use you here in the local church. Starts at four, and they'll we'll have dinner right in the middle, and we still have some openings. Just make sure you let my wife Amy know if you'd like to come. Okay, we're ready to get into Heroes of the Faith, and we have three speakers this morning. Our first speaker will be Brother Brent Mai. Uh, some of you know him as Brent the Farmer. And then right after he's done, our second speaker is going to come right up, Brother Tyler Smith, and then I'll come back and close out the series. So buckle in. Here we go. Here comes Brother Brent. Right. All right. <clears throat>
1: Good morning, church. You on? Can you hear me?
0: Kylie?
1: help him. Well, um, there we go. This morning, uh, we're going to be in Jonah. And most of you who've probably uh, read Jonah are probably wondering, well, why are you using Jonah as a hero of the faith? Um part of me was going through, I was going to talk about Job and all this stuff. And I, for some reason, Jonah just really spoke to me when it came to faith. And a lot of it was, it takes a lot of faith to believe that this guy was swallowed by a fish and then spit out, right? So I thought, I'm going to study Jonah and try to give you guys some of what I learned. So if you want to follow along in Jonah, um, I'm going to go through a little bit of it. But there is a lot to unpack here in this short, I mean, four-chapter book. There's only 48 verses. And, I mean, there's just a lot in it. But I just want to really focus on the message of salvation and grace for all people that this book really, I mean, brought out to me. So it kind of starts out, Jonah uh, gets the word of the Lord and says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, and tell them to repent of all the evil that they're doing. What's Jonah do? Uh, He runs off. Okay? He goes to uh, Joppa, tries to catch a boat to head to Tarshish. Okay? This is where it gets fun and interesting. Okay? They go... He's on this boat, and a great storm. The Lord brings a great storm upon this boat. And all of these, which I would refer to as pagan or Gentile men, are just freaking out. Where is Jonah? He is sleeping. He's sleeping. And part of me, like I was reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, like, when you do something that is, like, against what God is telling you to do, like, you usually, like, you feel some guilt. And I mean, personally for myself, like, when I feel guilty, like, if I've done something to my wife or done something to somebody else, like, I can't sleep. And, like, I got to thinking to myself, like, sometimes our human nature Like, even when we do things that are against God, or sometimes we don't actually feel the guilt that we should, if that makes sense. Um, Like, that's part of the reason why sometimes I think we need to make sure that we are staying grounded in the Scripture, so that way we know, like, we should feel guilty for this kind of stuff, if that makes sense. Um, But then, so this great storm is coming out and about, and um, then uh, they ended up for, like, calling out everyone to their own god. Everybody talking to these random, whatever it may be, the Dagons or whatever it is, calling out to their god. Nothing's happening. We're still getting this great storm. It's going to tear apart the boat. And, I mean, these people are... They call them mariners in the King James, which means that they were probably, I mean, well-versed in being on the the water, okay? And they end up, uh, it says casting lots, Um, but it makes me think of drawing straws, okay? Drawing straws, like who is, like, who's doing this to us? And so they cast lots, and Jonah drew the short straw. Okay, so they find the sleeping guy, and, who are you? Where'd you come from? Like, and he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. And then, like, I just thought to myself, like, do you really fear the Lord? You just ran off when he the word of the Lord came to you. You just ran off. Like, <laughs> I'd be a little bit more scared if I were you, if I fear the Lord. Now, um... They, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot in here again, like I said. Now, they end up doing everything they can to, Jonah tells them to throw him overboard, and they do everything they can. They actually try to row out of this storm. These pagan guys try to row out of this storm before they end up actually throwing Jonah overboard. And something else that came to my attention there, you're talking about these guys who are believing in these random gods that aren't real, they are little g-gods, and Jonah, who fears the Lord, and these guys, these pagans, they're the ones who are showing compassion on Jonah. These guys are the ones showing compassion on Jonah, trying to do everything in their power not to pitch him overboard. But we all know what happens, because we all learned in Sunday school, he's gone. He's inside, and then a great fish, I've heard, I've tried to do a lot of background stuff. I went from every translation you could think of, and there's people who think it was a whale, great fish, and I even looked on one that it was a sea monster, which was in one of the old translations, and I... Whoa, okay, that's just a lot. But so I've always had it in my mind from a little kid. It was a big fish or a whale, but um so Jonah's in the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights. Hmm, that's a good picture right there, isn't it, for us Christians, isn't it? It's a sign. And that's the where the faith part came in for me. I was thinking about it and Like, a lot of people think of this story of Jonah, like, it can't be anything but, like, a fake, fictitious story trying to teach a message, right? It's just allegory. But, like, Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 talks about Jonah and the fish. Like, I mean, this is Jesus here talking about Jonah and the fish. Like, it's huge. Um, So... Jonah's and the fish. He has this prayer. Okay, um, at the I know, some of your Bibles have the little headings and stuff like that uh, that says what's going on. Like my uh, Bible here says that Jonah's just basically Jonah and the great fish. Okay, and then when it gets to this part, it talks about Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving. And I was thought to myself, Thanksgiving? This prayer? In chapter two? Um, but I just I couldn't get into it was that was a lot for me. So I was trying to unpack it. But then at the end of that prayer, he says, Salvation is of the Lord. Mm. And I just that was one of those things that you underline in your Bible, highlight, and I've got it. Marked up several times there. And then the Lord spake up the fish and it irped them up on dry land. Okay. Then the word of the Lord came again to Jonah a second time. And this is where I really want to concentrate on. Um, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto them. He tells them again. Now what does he do? Jonah goes <laughs> and the, to Nineveh and preaches and tells them. With, and they repent. Now... These people are Assyrians, who we would—I mean—think of—I mean, these people are terrorists. I mean, Jonah really dislikes these people, and so they, the Assyrians, repent. They get in sackcloth. They sit in ashes. They do all kinds of stuff, and they repent, and God saves them from—I mean—being destroyed. What is Jonah? He's angry. He is angry. And I was actually talking to Miss Annie this morning about, like, these people, a lot of the times, we dislike because they don't live the way that we would like them to live. Or they are, for me, when I grew up, I grew, it was in high school during September 11th, so it was the Muslims. And, like, I just had this deep resentment in my heart during that time. But I was telling Miss Annie this morning that um, those people, the downtrodden, the people that we see as way down here, those people, when we finally reach them, those are the people who have such a testimony that can reach other people. Mm. They have, I mean, I hear of... People who, missionaries and folks come up here and share their testimony. And I, I mean, I've been in church my entire life. I mean, I've obviously been through a lot of stuff like everybody else has. But I hear some powerful testimonies of people who have um, came to this country out of Iraq or Syria who are forsaking everything, everything, and they are coming here. And they find Jesus. And they find Jesus. Mm. And they have such a powerful testimony. And I, it tears me up inside the fact that they, like, I was listening to a testimony of this young lady. And she was over there and she came to school over here. And a nice, uh, and she was ministered to by a young lady. And she came to know Jesus. And she was writing back her family in Syria. And her father said, you can never come home. Mm-hmm. And it tore me up inside. But he was actually showing her some love after I thought about it some more. Because then he wrote her back and said, you, will, you can't come home because our people will kill you. And, but that lady's testimony just really got to me. But I just really wanted to share today after reading this about how we need to reach those people who are down and not just be filled with this resentment and hatred towards those people who are like the Muslims or the downtrodden, whoever it may be. We need to reach those people because those are the ones who have the great testimony to reach other people. The people who are new Christians, I know Pastor Tony's talked about this before, they are so on fire for the Lord. And we kind of get in this rut after a while, but those new Christians are just on fire. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. Thank you.
0: Amen. Amen.
2: All right. So I did a similar message to this about a month ago with uh, Junior High High School at a chapel, and it only took about 45 minutes, so we'll see how I uh, do this time around. Hmm. Um, so I'm focusing on the book of Job. Um, yes, the whole book, so I'm going to try to go through the whole book within a matter of uh, 10 minutes so or so. Um, hmm. In the beginning, I want to go through the background, but before I really go through the depths of the background, I do have a picture that I do want to share with you guys. So if you can look up here, you can see the picture. Um, When I had the students go through, I had them guess everything about it. But if you can look at it, you can see that there's a man in God's hands. That's what's going on here. You can see the clouds up ahead. You can see God's hands down below. And then he has Job in his hands. And if you look at Job he doesn't look like he's in the best condition. Um, Maybe that's a bit of an understatement, not in the best condition. But either way, Job's not doing very good. Um, He's gone through his trials. He's gone through all these difficulties. um, And that is part of the reason that Job sticks out to me so much is he goes through these trials, he goes through these temptations, But yet he still comes through at the end, and he doesn't lose out on his faith on God. He doesn't decide to walk away from God. He says, blessed be the Lord, all these kind of things. But again, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself right now. So Job is one of the wisdom books of Scripture, which the wisdom books are primarily Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job. Job is in the modern-day land of Uz, which is roughly around, sorry, the ancient city, or ancient land of Uz, which is around the modern-day area of Syria. And this is also something that happened pre-Abraham, or roughly around the time of Abraham, which is in Genesis 12, if you're taking notes on that. Um, So Job, even though this is towards the, more of the middle of the Bible in chronological order, a lot of the stuff that happens with Job, Job's faith and his reliance on God is before even all the ideas with the Abrahamic covenant and Abraham and God and everything are very prevalent. So even before Job has all of this stuff to go back on, he can still know that he can trust God in all things. So we have Job here sitting in God's hands. Now if we go to Uh, The next one, I have Satan's introduction. So Satan gets introduced early on in Job, and this is one of the first times that Satan actually gets named. Not the first time, but one of the first times that Satan gets named, which in Hebrew, Satan is literally the accuser or the adversary or somebody who is opposed. So Satan comes up with all the angels, and this is in Job 1, 6 through 11. And then in Job 1, 6 through 11, he begins to accuse that Job is only as happy and as God-honoring as he is because of what God has done for him. So I do want to read, I believe it is verse 11 and 12, which in verse 11, Satan is speaking to God and he says, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse you to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power. Only upon himself do not put forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So one of the things that always sticks out to me on this particular passage is the idea that Satan, for, first of all, Job is point, pointed out to Satan by God. So God, Satan doesn't go around and say, okay, this person I really want to pick on right now. Actually, God points him out and says, this is one of the best people around. Do you want to see how great he is kind of a thing? Um, and then that's when satan says he's only that great because you're being really nice to him essentially and then it goes on next he actually has to get permission from god to do anything to him to begin a test or trial for his um, life and god actually gives him that opportunity he says you know what you have the ability to test him but again, if you remember from the last picture, Job was in God's hands the whole time. So therefore, you have the ability to test him, but he is still under my protection in the end of the day. Um, that happens, and then I think most of you might be familiar with the rest or the beginning of the story after that, where Job has a you know difficult time where he loses literally everything except for his wife, and as Pastor Stuke has pointed out to me before, his servant that warned or told him that he lost everybody um, in his household. So he loses everything, and then that's when I want to go down to Job one twenty-one. So Job one twenty-one to me, is one of the most powerful passages in all of Job. There's a lot of really powerful ones, but this one sticks out to me in particular, because after he loses everything, after everything is gone, Job literally responds in this manner. And he said, naked I come out of my mother's womb, and naked I shall return to her. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm. Despite everything, Job still says, blessed be the name of the Lord. So he loses everything. Well, the rest of the story goes on, and then Satan says, well if you actually hurt him, if he himself gets sick and everything's wrong with him, not just his stuff, that's when he'll really curse God. Well, God gives Satan the ability to do that. He says, you're allowed to, let's see what happens. And of course, God already knows what's going to happen. But he says that. <clears throat> Satan does that. And in Job 2.10 is his second response. So in Job 2.10, and he's actually talking to his wife because his wife said, "You should curse God and die because everything's horrible. Just get it over with, kind of a thing." And this is Job's response to that. But he said unto her, "Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil in all of this? Job did, or in all of this, not Job. Job did not sin with his lips. So the second time around, Job did not sin with his lips. He still recognized that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, That is one of my favorite worship songs, the one by, uh, I believe it was Matt Redmond, the, um, the Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. And it pulls directly from this passage of Job. Now, Job doesn't end there. Job goes forward and his friends have a response to him. So you've already heard his wife tells him to curse God and die. Then he has his friends, first three friends that tell him um, that basically they're trying to use human reasoning and telling him that he sinned and he did something wrong and God is punishing him for doing something wrong. Uh, But Job keeps saying, I didn't do anything wrong. So God can't be punishing me for doing something wrong. Um, And that goes on. For quite a few verses. So, literally going from Job 2 to Job 32, that's about what, 30 books of scripture right there? It's pretty much his friends and Job going back and forth, trying to figure out why Job is suffering all this time period. And finally, his one friend that doesn't really get mentioned beforehand comes in. And that friend comes in in Job 32, but I want to read a passage from him on Job 36, and that's Elihu. So I'm going to jump to Job 36 really quick. In Job 36, 26, Elihu says, Behold, God is great. And we know him not. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. And he goes on from that point. But his one friend, Elihu, has the first true response that we should be considering. And that is, he glorifies God and says that God is great and we don't know everything that God knows. His knowledge is above our knowledge. And if we constantly try to use human reasoning to figure everything out from God, we're always going to be falling short. And that's what Elihu does. And of course, God responds in Job 38, and he basically uh, rebukes to some extent the three friends early on that tell Job that he's doing all these things wrong. But Elihu is the one friend that he does not say anything negative against because Elihu is the one that recognized that God is the ultimate one who is in control of all things. And then we have God's response. So Job 38, 3 through 4, um, but essentially what happens is God, um, I hate to use this particular term, but I think it fits. God kind of lays a smack down on Job in saying that everything that you're saying, all this stuff, well, it's not that big. You need to look at who I am, and he begins to go through creation with everything that he has created Everything he has organized, and he's like, well, can you tell me how this works? Can you do this? Can you do all these things that I have done? Do you have the knowledge that I have? And that's what God goes through. Um, In the very beginning of that passage, he does say, gird up your loins as I talk to you. And in my mind, whenever I think about God, if God is going to tell me to gird up my loins because he's going to talk to me, usually that means something pretty serious is about to happen. Um so then essentially he goes through all this stuff to show his absolute control and that there is a need for a complete trust in him. And one of the commentaries I was looking through with this particular <clears throat> section in Job thirty eight says, and this is just a quote from the commentary, um, who God is determines what he does. Therefore, we must trust him without reservation. We must have trust in God. And this is where I deviated away from the book of Job to kind of wrap up really quickly. I'll only read two passages of scripture um, that I have here. I have like seven of them here, but I'm only gonna do two of them. One of them is James 1, 2 through 3. So if I go to James 1, 2 through 3, this is a passage that has always stuck out to me and always connects to Job. Um, When I was in a small group in high school, I used to have uh, some friends and we would always go to book of James and we'd joke around that we should always be praying for trials because if we're going to be a Christian, we're going to have trials, so we should be praying for God to give us trials. I don't necessarily think that was the wisest choices, choice to make at the time, but it was kind of an inside thing that we did. So James 1, 2 through 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh, patience now we have here in the King James the diverse temptation and I went back to the original Greek and the original Greek word is parasmos which means trial or proving and the proving of it is literally a trial of man's virtue so what we have here is a trial of what our virtue is proving ourselves putting us through almost a refiner's fire is what these trials are and that's what Job goes through and the book of James um, has so many things on that. And then James 1.12 is one I'll close out with. So we did 1 and 2, and then in verse 12 comes out, and it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life with which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So at the very end, we are... As Christians, as people, we are always going to be hitting trials and temptations. How we respond to those is incredibly important. Um, There's a lot of uh, movements out there that kind of bring in the idea that if you believe in God or you trust in God, you're never going to hit a trial, temptation, difficulty in life, but you always will be. And that is one of the reasons why Job has always stuck out to me as one of the heroes of the faith is he kind of showcases the extreme trials that you can hit and then what can you have as a response to it? You can still say, blessed be the Lord, and you can still say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. At the end of the day, everything that we have, everything that we are is God's to begin with. Um, And I'll leave it with this one passage of scripture. We won't have to turn to it. Um, Job 13, 15. And Job says, and this is, you know, after Job has talked to his friends and everything else, or started talking to his friends, he says, Though he slay me, I will maintain my ways before him. So no matter what, in all things, in all difficulties, Job is always pointing out the fact that we need to maintain our ways and our ideas and our trust with God. So God's ways are above our ways, but we can always have trust that he orchestrates all things together for the good of those who follow him.
0: Amen. That's great. You know, I'm always reminded uh, the main character in the book of Jonah is God. The main character in the book of Job is God. And today we're going to talk about Moses. But you know, the main character in the book of Hebrews is God. You know what the first word of the book of Hebrews is? God. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners, and, and so our faith really always goes back to God. And we're going to finish out the series in these last minutes with one of the most well-known Bible characters, a guy who is highlighted and that we walk with all through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. and, And Mr. Moses is one of my favorite Bible characters. And let's see what God wants us to know about him in this short passage in Hebrews 11. So, I want you to look with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's just see what God says about Moses in this one chapter of the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse number 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So, Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, a saying to do, were drowned. So we understand that Moses was blessed to be born into a family of faith. Uh, otherwise, he would have never been around to live a life of faith himself. The Pharaoh had commanded that all boy babies be thrown into the river to be eaten by the crocodiles. You say, that's a brutal practice. Yeah, we have a much better procedure now. It's called a medical procedure, right? And they just kill babies left and right all across the United States and all around the world. And we are uh, as bad or worse than the Pharaoh of Egypt as a culture. Just thought I'd throw that in. It's not even the message. But, you know, his parents weren't afraid of the king's commandment. And i tell you what, we should not be afraid of anything that the culture tells us to do against God. We don't ever have to fear that. We are children of God. Who is on the Lord's side? And they showed great faith and courage, and they hid him. And then, as he grows in verse 24, we see these practical actions that Moses took in his own faith. And that's where I want to spend these last minutes this morning. So in verse 24, let's just look at the action verb here. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused. So Moses refused something. Now Moses had the easy life guaranteed for the rest of his natural. He had been formally, legally called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But when he began to understand that life is about more than just the here and now, its preparation for eternity, Moses refused to be called a part of Pharaoh's family. And it was a conscious decision to break away from the call and culture of Egypt. Now look at the action in verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction. This is what we just talked about with Job. I didn't talk about it. Brother Tyler did. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. If you've never underlined that verse, you should underline right now. He chose something. What did he choose? He chose to suffer with the people of God, the Jewish slaves. And this was a choice that made no sense to any of the Egyptians. Quite frankly, it probably didn't make a a whole lot of sense to any of the Jews either. Moses had it made in the shade with lemonade, Uh, but he denied himself and took up the cross of God's people, and he chose to suffer affliction. And verse 25 ends with this powerful truth. He chose to suffer rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Do you know most people choose the opposite? They choose the temporary. They choose what can rust and be stolen and be corrupted. They choose what quickly collapses, what you can't take with you into eternity. That is the natural man's choice. Sadly, a lot of so-called Christians choose the pleasures of sin for a season as well instead of committing their lives fully to Christ. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Following Jesus is not the easy path, but it's the only path that leads to eternal rewards. The people who pursue the treasures of Egypt never have lasting peace and contentment. They jump from pleasure to pleasure and thing to thing and person to person and so Moses chose. Now, verse 26, look at this action verb. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So Moses esteemed correctly. Now, this is called divine wisdom. To be able to see what's truly deep and what's truly shallow. He valued the reproach that he would experience with God's people higher than all the treasures of Egypt. Which brings into question to us, do we have a heavenly value system or is our value system aligned with this world? Now, talking a good game is one thing, but living with eternal values shows up in your lifestyle. It shows up in how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you live at home. It shows up in what you consider to be truly important. Look at verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt. And so Moses forsook something. Now, we talked about that in verse 24. He refused to buy into the call of Egypt. Like his parents, he wasn't afraid of the king. Uh, But I like what it says next in verse 27. For he endured... As seeing him who is invisible. You know, Moses endured something. This is such a beautiful picture of faith. He kept his eyes on God, even though his eyes couldn't see the invisible God. Whatever you want to call it, endurance, patience, commitment, uh, these are all hallmarks of a walk with God. And this type of faith is not developed in a day. Or a week or a month or a year. It's only developed over a lifetime. Moses spent 40 years in the university of the wilderness and the desert before he led God's people in the wilderness and the desert. And salvation is accepted in a moment of faith, but it's experienced over an entire lifetime. You say, Pastor, look, I've messed up, I've failed. I've gotten off course. Yeah, so did Moses, and so have I. And then faith shows up, uh, and you keep going after you've messed up. By faith, he endured. I love that. Verse 28, through faith, he kept the Passover. So Moses kept something. what did he keep? Well, he observed the first Passover, believing that it was a symbol of of the full redemption that would come through Christ. In following Jesus, there are two important steps that we take as our faith grows. Uh, we follow the Lord in the symbol of believers, baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. It shows others that we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that we identify with the family of God. And after baptism, we're scripturally able to participate In the keeping of the Lord's Supper, which is the New Testament remembrance of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. It takes faith to follow Christ in these ordinances. Uh, There are some people who claim to be Christians, but they never follow Christ in these ordinances. Now, can you be saved and never get baptized after salvation and still go to heaven? Yes, you certainly can, because baptism's not part of salvation. But but here's the question. Why would you want to, right? Why would anybody who calls himself or herself a child of God not want to identify with God's family, right? When we took our teenagers to the mall, and they acted like they were part of a different family, uh, we knew they were ashamed of us, right, (laughs) right? You get to a certain age, like Sophie, and you walk, I, we never go to the mall anymore. We go to the store, she'll hold my hand. But, you know, they get to a certain age, they're like two aisles away. They're 40 feet ahead or 40 feet behind. They do not want to be identified with you. Why would any believer not want to identify with God's family? Why would we not want to publicly and visibly show forth our commitment to Christ? And so Moses, Kept something. And that has meaning in it. And then I want you to see verse 29. Moses led the people to pass through the Red Sea. He led them to pass through something. Now, can you imagine walking across a sea on dry ground with water standing up in the air, suspended above you on both sides? It takes Faith to pass through something that you've never experienced before. It does. It especially takes faith to pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. But he led them to do that. And you know, maybe you're passing through something right now that you've never experienced. It might have to do with your family, it might have to do with your health, it might have to do with uh, your finances. Something's going on in your life. And God says that we can pass through by faith. There's always going to be trouble. We found that out with Job, right? There's always going to be Christians who think that it's their job to choose how much mercy God has. That's what Jonah's deal was, right? Here's Jonah praying the Lord is salvation, and then he's mad that God wants to save people. We pass through a lot of things, but we can only pass through by faith. And that's what Moses did. That's a short look at his life. As we close out the series, perhaps God has worked in your heart through one of the heroes of faith from a previous week or from the life of Jonah or Job or Moses today. And as we pray to finish Heroes of Faith... I want you in your heart to make commitments that are worthy of Christ. Would you express to God how the Spirit is working in your life right now? Uh, You could have gotten something from anybody who spoke in this series. Uh, The Holy Spirit always works through His Word. And uh, I know that God will bless us as we follow Him by faith. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, we thank you for these truths that have been expressed to us this morning. And we thank you for your word and how consistent it is, how powerful it is to work in our lives. We thank you that you are the true hero of every story. And as we pass through the things of this life, I pray that you would give us the faith to trust in the eternal God as our refuge. And in our hearts right now, I pray that we would make commitments that are worthy of you, that we would tell you right now where we want to grow, what we'd like to take out of our life and have you help us with, what we'd like to add into our life, you help us with. And I pray that you would guide us now as we serve you this week in this community. And We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen.